Well, good morning, Parks family. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. We are going to be finishing uh, Acts chapter 9 this morning. And so while you turn there, I just want to share a couple of announcements uh, with you that we have coming up uh, this week. And the big one really is a Hope Clinic event that we have this Thursday evening. So be checking your email, uh, Church Center app, things like that for all the details. This is uh, replacing what was going to be our spring fundraising event for Hope Clinic. So you'll want to check in and support Hope Clinic. It's going to be an incredible event that you're going to be able to uh, peer into online. And then obviously we have practice groups meeting and things like that. And so uh, be in tune with that calendar that's emailed out every week. Check that. Uh, men's and, and women's uh, things happening on Zoom and all, all the different things that are happening at the church and just a way for us to stay uh, connected as a faith family. All right. Well, where we left off in the book of Acts uh, right before Easter was the, the conversion of Saul. And the conversion of Saul led into a little bit of what Saul uh, began to do as he was in Damascus and Jerusalem. We see this true conversion of somebody who was rejecting Christ, who was persecuting Christians, and then this radical conversion in his life that led to uh, the start of his ministry. Well, that will pause and actually we'll, we'll, we'll leave uh, Saul or Paul for about eight years, not, not literally, but, but in the book of Acts. We'll, we'll push pause on, on Saul for about eight years, and we'll go back to a scene here in Acts chapter 9, the, the end of it, uh, with Peter, one of the, the disciples. And so uh, you need to understand that as we read Acts chapter 9, 32 through 43, that this is still a continuation, as Luke writes, from the gospel of Luke to the book of Acts, of the works and acts of Jesus. And so what we'll see in these two uh, stories, if you will, are these incredible miracles that are also known as signs that point to something else. And so let's read it, and then we'll talk to that something else that these signs point to. Verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her and laid her in an upper room, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Something you'll notice throughout the scriptures, and we've seen actually in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, uh, that described that all the apostles and the disciples were doing uh, many signs and wonders, is that miracles, the, the miracles we just saw, are oftentimes known as signs. And so we need to understand what is a sign, 
right? You, you have this idea of what a sign literally is, right? Like, like think of a stop sign. You have this literal sign that, that, that says stop that's red, right? You can feel it. You can touch it. You can look at it and see that. But also behind a sign is a deeper reality, okay? Using the, the, the picture of a stop sign. The deeper reality behind a stop sign is that it conveys a message to the person who is reading, looking at this visible sign that they need to stop or their vehicle needs to stop movement at a certain point. That's the simple message that it conveys. With these biblical signs and wonders, it's no different. There's a tangible reality in which they convey, which we can see, which we hear about, even as we read these stories in Acts 9. But there is also a deeper meaning. If we come to these passages and we simply think or we simply interpret it as two people were miraculously healed, even though that's what happened, that's not the full extent of what the purpose of these signs is for. There's a deeper reality, right? Uh, this isn't just giving us two people, Aeneas and, and Tabitha, who were healed. This is giving us a picture of ourselves, right? Because if it were just about healing, here's the reality. Isn't it great for Aeneas and Tabitha that they were healed, right? And now listen, the Bible is not simply just historical. Is it historical? Yes. Did these events actually happen the way that the Bible says that they happened? Yes. But these stories, these miracles, these signs are meant to point to a deeper reality. So what do, the question is uh, that I want to ask this morning to us, is what do these signs of Aeneas healing and Tabitha raising from the dead, what do they point to? And what they point to is this. Healing power. Healing power. What do these two these signs point to? Healing power. Well, first is the tangible, right? It's the stop sign. I can see it. It's red. It says stop. It first points to the reality of physical healing. That physical healing is a real thing. This is the obvious sign that we see with Tabitha and Aeneas. So I want right off the bat to hit the obvious, that God still heals. God still breaks through in surprising ways. Now listen, healing is an absolute mystery. Does God always heal our physical bodies when we ask him to? No, not always. And we can point to places in scripture where, where God didn't heal or Jesus didn't heal certain people. We can point to even Paul himself where he had this thorn in his flesh, which possibly was a physical ailment that he asked the Lord to remove and, and he never did. But does God sometimes heal? Absolutely. Can he heal? Yes. And we need to even see during these times where we're in a global pandemic that whether it's the miraculous movement that we see in Acts 9 of, of Jesus healing like that, or we see medicine, that it is both God doing it. It is both God healing our physical bodies. We have testimonies of people, countless people in our church who have experienced this kind of healing, both by medicine and by miracle of God who has touched their body physically. And so listen, we need to peer into Acts 9 and see that the, the most obvious one is that God heals physically. Now let's go a little bit deeper under the surface here because I think this sign also points to humanity's problem. This sign also points to humanity's problem. This points to a deeper reality, not just a physical problem, which we're going to talk about even more here in a sec, but a spiritual problem. 
Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this, and this is Paul writing. He says, you were dead in your trespasses in sin. So the reality of what this points to with Tabitha is a spiritual point that we, like Tabitha, were dead in our sin. Going on to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul then says this, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so here we have this idea of that you were dead in your sins, Tabitha, and then he tells believers to walk in a manner. So that would allude to the fact that before Christ, before salvation becomes true in our lives, we are dead and unable to walk. Aeneas, we are paralyzed because of our spiritual condition known as sin. And so I want us to look at what these show us about ourselves while using these two signs. And the first one is this, Aeneas and Tabitha are unmistakably incurable. Like paralysis and death, there aren't a couple of pills that you can go take to cure these. They are incurable. Verse 33, look at it. It says about this man, Aeneas, a man who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. Like he was not walking. He has been in, in bed, like laying down for eight years. I'm sure there has been, his muscles have, have weakened, if not gone away. He is completely incurable by all physical standards until there is a divine intervention, right? Tabitha, she is in bed, wrapped. They have literally brought things to her. These people identified, they knew when someone was dead, they have identified Tabitha is gone. She's lost, they're mourning, they're lamenting. The point with these signs is to show that these physical, real examples point us to a deeper sickness that is within all of us, an incurable thing called sin that separates us from God. But get this, even in light of coming off of Easter, it would be funny, it's funny that we're now in Acts 9 with a, another resurrection, right? That without great sickness, there is no great cure. The reality is Aeneas and Tabitha could not cure themselves. They could not come out from underneath the reality of death or paralysis. The same thing is true of our souls, that Jesus didn't come to save fake sinners. He came to bring back to life those who are dead. We are dead in our sins, Romans says, Ephesians says. We were blind, we couldn't walk, we were gone. All of these metaphors explain our spiritual state before God. Now the question to us in our living rooms and the places we're watching this is have we come to that beautiful place yet where we actually acknowledge this? Right, it's that Thomas Watson quote that says, until sin be bitter, the cross cannot be sweet. Have we come to this place where we realize we are Tabitha, that we uh, in our souls are Aeneas, we are paralyzed without a divine intervention? Charles Spurgeon, he said when preaching on this text, he says, Oh, I am happy tonight if anywhere in this house there is an Aeneas who is sick and knows that he is sick, who knows his disease to be incurable, laments that he is, he is paralyzed and can do nothing and longs to be healed by divine power. He is the man who will welcome the glad news of the gospel of free grace. The man was really sick and so are you, my hearer. Your sins are great, your sinfulness of nature is grievous, and your case is beyond reach of human skill. That is the reality that this sign is pointing to in our lives. 
The second thing is not that this just wasn't an incurable situation, but neither Aeneas nor Tabitha took the initiative for their own healing. Right, This paralyzed man didn't call for anyone, and for sure this, this deceased Tabitha did not call for anyone. It was someone else's initiative that caused Peter to come to the places that they were. Listen to me. Salvation is the work of God alone, which means, good news, that God is not waiting on you or me to get our act together. 1 John 4.19 says this, that, that we love him because he first He took the initiation. He first loved us. John 6 says, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father unless he draws them to himself. And so you have this sovereignty of God moving and changing and saving. However, there is also another picture to which in this text, people play a part in God drawing and saving and healing. You see, salvation often comes from the intercession of other people. The friends of Tabitha know that she's gone, yet they still go and get Peter and plead for him to come pray for her. Intercession is this, is when you go to God for someone else or someone else for you. You see, intercession is where we stand in the place before God Right? Like, now listen, Jesus stands as our high priest interceding to the Father, but there is a place where the people of God intercede for other people, where we stand in the place of other people of our world before God and call out to them. This is James 5 where it says, listen, are any of you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church that they might anoint you with oil. And the prayer offered in faith heals the sick person. Now, does that mean that the elders or pastors or or Peter's prayers are more powerful than, than anyone else's, any other Christian's prayers? No, not at all. But this is a picture of intercession. There are times when God specifically will urge you to go before him for others. This is a season for that, church. This is a season where we need to be interceding on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our world, on behalf of the church and specific people who are sick, who are struggling, who, who, families who have lost loved ones, people who have lost jobs. Listen, God uses us as a means to accomplish his ends. Yes, there, there's one point to which God sovereignly moves in all things and he just, he just does it at his own accord. And then there are other times where God uses his people. And this is often so. This is places in scripture where he says, listen, come before my face, seek my face, call upon my name. Then God says, I will heal. Then I will save. Then I will move. Did you hear that? There's an action he wants from us, a means to his ends to see him answer prayer. God is the one who burdens our hearts for others. And so listen, here's what I want to do in this moment. I want us to pause, and typically a question will come up, but I want us to, in these moments here, to pray. And and, and a comment or a prayer will come up, and you in your living room pray. If you need to hit pause, hit pause, and then hit play and pick back up uh, with us. But pray and ask God to burden your heart for someone specific. And when he does, pray for them. Pray for that thing he burdened you on. So take the time and we'll do that. Then we'll jump back into Acts.
All right, welcome back. And so he, here's the final point I want us to see from, from Acts chapter 9. So, so, so reviewing, first, it's obvious they, they were unmistakably incurable. Uh, second, they didn't take the initiative for their healing, Aeneas or Tabitha. And last is this, that they are unmistakably healed. You see, the paralyzed guy in this story, Aeneas, stands up. Tabitha, in this story, Peter prays for her and says, Tabitha, arise. What happens? She wakes up from the dead and people see her. You see, C.S. Lewis, he calls these miracles, miracles of reversal because they reverse the effects of the fall from Genesis 3. That they're showing what happens when God comes and reverses the ramifications of sin in the fall. Look at verse 34. Peter is clear to Aeneas. Listen, it is Jesus Christ who has healed you. You see, Peter doesn't draw attention to his name. He points to Jesus. In both miracles, what I hope you picked up as we read them is that they rebounded to the glory of Jesus Christ alone. Look at it in, in verse 36. It says, And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they did what? They turned to the Lord. Not that they turned to Peter, not that they turned to, to someone else, but they turned to the Lord. In verse 42, it says the same thing. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in who? The Lord. And so I was thinking about this, and, and maybe a reason we don't see more signs and wonders is because they don't rebound to the glory of Jesus. In turn, when these signs and wonders happen, what we are prone to do and what we've seen throughout all humanity is that they rebound to us. Tessa and I were reading a chapter uh, from a book on revival uh, every night. And what we see when revival breaks down is when the revival in turn gets to be made about the man and not about the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing here. And so our prayer to see these signs and these wonders again, can God do it? Absolutely. Does he still do it? Absolutely. But oftentimes he doesn't because he understands that we're going to squander it on ourselves and it's not going to reflect the glory back to the proper place where he is seen more clearly. Listen, these healings in Acts 9 were vehicles for proclamation of the gospel. That is what signs and wonders are meant to do. Look at these two, one paralyzed and one dead. They are parables, literally living parables for what they were physically, we are spiritually. And Peter proclaims from that the gospel, that Jesus raises people from the dead and takes our incurable disease of sin and heals us through his death and resurrection Easter. But also, and here's where I want us to finish up, they also point us to what life and future life in the kingdom of God is to look like. In other words, what's taking place here is that we get to peer through, if you will, this portal into another world, right? The, the, the not yet world of the kingdom of God in its fullness. That there is something bigger and better that happens when the king arrives finally to set all things right. Like we see this throughout the Gospels when Jesus stands up in a boat and calms the storm. It's something bigger taking place than just the waves not crashing anymore. It is, it's, it's explaining and it's exclaiming the deity and divinity of Jesus that he has the authority and the power over nature because he created it, right? Mark chapter 5 verse 41, if you have notes, write that down. Because it is a near mirror image to what we just read with Tabitha arise. Jesus speaks to a young girl, Jairus' daughter, and he says, in, 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 in Aramaic, he says, uh, Talitha kuomi. Talitha 
kuomi. It is this, this word that says, little girl, arise. Peter says the exact same. There's only one letter difference if Peter speaks the same language to Tabitha. Listen, when Jesus casts out demons, he's putting everything back in the order he created it. And so these miracles are pointing us forward to a day where things are made new, where sin, death, destruction, violence, storms, pandemics that kill and devastate people and jobs are no more. Listen, every time this kind of power comes from the apostles, it's to alleviate human suffering. Every time. Why? Because in the coming kingdom, there will be no crying, suffering, or sorrow. Those things all exploded on the scene in Genesis 3 from sin. You see, God hates suffering more than you hate suffering. So he does something about it. He, he brings and sends his son, not to suspend natural order, but to put order back in place in which he created it. God, through Christ, is turning everything right side up when everything is upside down. And we feel that. We particularly feel that uniquely in this season. Now, one theologian, he says this. He says, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Listen, we live in an unnatural world, wounded and broken by sin, and Jesus came to bring healing. And so listen to me. If God is the enemy of suffering and pain, as Christ's followers, you and I, we are to hate suffering as well. We are supposed to advocate for human flourishing like never before. This is what all of us do. And it doesn't matter what you do for a living. Listen, all of us are to be pursuers of human flourishing, right? Whether you're a car mechanic, right? You take a broken car, right? A result of the fall. You take this broken car and you restore it and you give it back to that person or that family so that they can continue on flourishing, right? A teacher, you go into your place of work to educate kids and, and to help people so that they can flourish in the world. And, and many of you parents now are, are doing dual roles of raising kids and educating them so that they might flourish. Nurses and doctors, and, and healthcare professionals, could there be a more vivid picture of flourishing than what you're doing right now as you push back the, the human suffering and the enemy's attempt to, to divide and distort and you literally go on the front lines waging war against this virus. First, we just wanna say thank you, but understand that what you're doing is a God-given design for all of us to be about human flourishing and pushing back because God is the enemy of suffering and pain. Church, we are God's means to his ends. We are called to seek justice and wholeness, not in our own strength, right? Peter didn't approach these two in his own strength, but in the strength and power of Christ alone. Listen, we, we may never have another moment in our lifetime like the one we have now before us, church. Lives that are interrupted. Lives that are beginning to, to clarify and given holy perspective. That this idea, maybe for the first time, is, is getting legs and feet and eyes because we're able to see our call as Christ followers is to seek the welfare, to seek human flourishing in those around me. May we not squander 
this moment. May we not squander the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit he has given us to seek and go after the justice God has called us to go after, to be healers because we have been healed. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then the final question is going to come, and and that's how we're going to end uh, our time together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that convicts and shapes and moves our hearts. And Lord, I pray that the deeper realities of Acts 9, that we have an incurable disease, that we, nothing of our own merit, bring salvation about, that you alone do that. And Lord, that for many of us, we have been unmistakably healed from that incurable disease because of Jesus. Now I pray in light of that, that we would be who you have called us to be, people who go after and pursue and push back the kingdom of darkness because the kingdom of God is coming. And God, our hearts long for it to come in fullness and completion. But until then, may we work for your glory and your kingdom to be seen now in our world as it is in heaven. And God, I pray as we dialogue on this next question, Holy Spirit, that you might lead us and give us wisdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great week.